Well, welcome back to the Zeitcast, everybody. I've been especially looking forward to this episode today because one of the things that's coolest about doing a daily podcast is I have the opportunity now to be able to introduce you to all of my favorite people. So today you get to meet another one of my absolute favorite people. Malika Cox is our pastor of justice and spiritual formation mm-hmm. at the table. And you guys, she is she's just such a rock star. She is one of the reasons I'm here. That's true on a couple of different levels. One, because you kind of prophesied me here. I don't know what experience everybody has about She kind of prophesied me here, so there's that. But it's also, um, Malika is one of the people I connected with early on where it just felt like there was such a kinship and something of the spirit. She is. Um, she has such a deep background working with churches, nonprofits. Her experience in terms of justice, which we'll talk more about, uh, advocacy in general, peacemaking and reconciliation. Is an area of special focus. There's so many things that she does well, and she is just a, a treasure to the table and to me and to Oklahoma City. So, um, Malika, it's it's a really a big deal to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time to Thank come on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this. I definitely um, did prophesy you here. You did. You really like <laughs> before I got here. Like yes, you did. The, you first prophesied over me before I knew you. Apparently, you prophesied yes. that I was coming here. <laughs> And then when we actually got you here, mm-hmm. I prophesied that you needed to stay. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. So like, well, so far those uh, prophetic words are holding out. They are. And like it's we're just so happy that you're here and love you. Oh. And thank you for having me on here. And Oh, I want you to be a regular guest okay. to be sure. <laughs> I mean, it's such a, you know, I tell people all the time, because especially when I travel mm-hmm. and people don't necessarily say this with shade, but sometimes this will be like, why Oklahoma City exactly? <laughs> and I always tell people, you know, really, the people. You know, it's yeah. just an extraordinary collection of people. And I think, uh, you know, once I got to know you guys, there was a sense of, like, these are the people I would just want to build anything with. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what form it takes. Like, these are the folks I'd want to do life with. Whatever comes out of this experiment of kind of being together mm-hmm. uh, in the community, like, I- I'm down for that. So. And I, I agree. I feel like, you know, I've been to many places. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we have talked about that. <laughs> Five continents, I believe. <laughs> Inside joke. But uh, <laughs> um, having, you know, just been traveled and, and yes. been all over and been to like conflict zones and um, West Coast, East Coast. But I really have to say there's something about the people in Oklahoma City. Yeah. It's like salt of the earth. There's just something about the people here and then just the community that's really organic kind of come to be over the yes. past year, yes. which um, we really, I can't even imagine somehow structuring that. It's just no. kind of, we've cultivated community and the most amazing people have shown up. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I will say, it feels well, heaven on earth. So It is, yeah. it, which is interesting because it's not like we're the biggest, flashiest, sexiest thing in town, but yeah. there's such a sense of movement of the spirit. And it's they are especially dynamic, gifted people. And it just mm-hmm. it does feel like there's something just really particular that God's doing here that's special. I believe so if anybody wants to move to Oklahoma yeah. City to, to be part of this, that's what I did. So, you know, like it, there is precedent for that. Um, Malik, I want to talk to you about a lot of things, but okay. th- this is the first thing that kind of came to mind today is that the very first episode of the Zeitcast, I called God at the intersections. And mm-hmm. so much of what we talk about is this idea of what's well, kind of spirituality and dot, dot, dot. And one of the things I find most fascinating about your life and story is I feel like 
you from the beginning, like you have always lived at a lot of intersections. So I'd love for you just like to riff on that at some of the intersections you, even from, from kind of the beginning of your life, you, I thought you just always lived at some very particular, really interesting intersections. Absolutely. So, um, I was born in Spain, which everyone always asks if my parents were, um, air force. And I say, no, they were gypsies. (laughs) So actually my father is black and my mom is white and they left the country at the time because there was a lot of racial unrest. Mm. And so they ended up going to Europe and traveling. They ended up in Spain where I was born. Um, we were there for a little while and then we moved to California. We came back here and I grew up in California, mostly on the beach and Venice mm-hmm. beach. Um, my dad is black, my mom's white. And I really didn't know or was aware that that was actually something unique. Mm-hmm. Um, we lived in kind of a paradise of 72 degrees and, um, sunny on the Pacific ocean. And one day my parents tell me that we're moving to Oklahoma. Oh. <laughs> so at eight years of age, we moved to the middle of the country And I found out that having interracial parents actually was not only unique, but that there was a lot of, um, I would say, resistance or Mm. straight out. It was just a lot of injustice towards that. And so Mm. my parents and I moved to Oklahoma City. Um, I like to say I discovered racism and tornadoes. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So Mm. it's kind of like two arbitrary uh, forces Mm. um, of hate or (laughs) evil. They're just very much like they kind of went hand in hand. And so I ended up in the middle of the country, in the middle of the Bible Belt. I wasn't a Christian. I was a person of color. And, um, you know, my parents and I, we really re- received a lot of kind of hostility when we would go mm. out together as a family. Um, and that changed over time, as I will say, Oklahoma City and Oklahoma itself has really progressed as a state. But we, I will say as a person who is mixed race, I received not only um, racism for the fact that my parents were interracial, but just because I'm a little ethnically ambiguous, I mean, mm. I received racial slurs for Native Americans. I received racial slurs for um, Latino community members. Mm. Pretty much if you weren't white and there's a slur out there, I received it. Wow. So I grew up with a real understanding um, that there's some really unfair things in the world. And I guess I always kind of knew that I was here specifically to um, do something about that. Like that's always mm. been kind of like, this isn't right. Mm. Um, so I would say from the age of eight, I kind of picked up the mantle of <laughs> mm. this is not right and I need to be doing something. So I will say like I had that um, as well as just not really fitting into any community. So I yeah. think that was really interesting either way in either community, whether it be black or white or even the other ethnicities, I've never really felt at home. And so that has been hard, but it's mm. also been kind of a benefit to be able to um, have kind of a fluid identity in the sense that mm. I, I don't understand when people get very tribalistic because I can mm. kind of flow to any community and I yeah. can I can be there and, and I don't get that sense of us against them as well. Mm. That's so interesting. And it's I'm fascinated too that so early on that there was such an awareness, not only of the injustice, but something inside of it, like you need to do something like that mm-hmm. and not just run. I would kind of think if you came from California in 72 degrees and interracial marriage is not a big deal, and then you come into tornadoes and racism, that the instinct would kind of be like, 
Yeah, check please. And I do think there was a, a time where I did check out. So <clears throat> my mother um, was probably the most uh, justice advocate. She's been um, arrested for civil disobedience, for anti-death penalty work, and she's been a strong advocate and mm. activist her whole life. And so she had me out at rallies for um, equal rights memo at like nine years of age. That's amazing. <laughs> and so I, I was that kid. <clears throat> and so for a while, like that's what I knew. That's what I was put on the planet mm. for. But I will say as I got older and um, maybe it was just the wear and tear of Oklahoma or at least the kind of powers and principalities that I see now as structural racism and white supremacy and and I think a lot of misogyny um, kind of wore on me. So there, mm. there came a period in my life where I really did just try to uh, escape. I escaped in the subcultures. I kind of um, moved around a lot. I moved to New York. I moved back to California. I moved to D.C. I lived in New Orleans, which eventually led me there. And I was very purposeless and visionless because I think mm. I had just um, didn't really believe things could change. Mm. So I kind of lost my purpose and I really did have a hostility towards like Christianity in particular, mm -hmm. not necessarily faith, but Christianity, because I've been raised seeing my mom fight so hard for marginalized people. And mm -hmm. what I saw in Christianity was um, like homophobia. I saw misogyny. I saw war. I saw genocide. Mm -hmm. I saw a lot of people who were out for power and money. So I was really resistant to the faith, which was kind of funny because it would only be a few years later in New Orleans when I actually came to the faith mm. and I became a Christian. Um, so I would say that those things had turned me off, but I had a hunger. I really mm. had a hunger for God. And so I started exploring that and other, like looking at Buddhist practices and I was looking kind of new agey. And so I was just really trying to find God. Um, mm. And then I did, but the, when I, once I went to New Orleans, it was very interesting because I had um, my conversion there. Mm. And I really just felt like I was on this path to find God. And I ended up meeting Jesus. And um, it was a really, it really was a kind of a tragic situation. I was living in New Orleans. I was working for a restaurant there in the French Quarter. And I really just had a sense that something bad was going to happen. And I remember telling my friends and family, and they were like, you're just making it up. Mm. But the day um, that I decided not to go to work and go back to Oklahoma City, I wanted to see my family. I mm. opened my roommate's Bible for the like I opened the Bible for the first time and it fell on Psalm 56 and it says, I have kept your feet from falling so you can walk before God in the land of the living. Mm. And I remember it was just so much like a confirmation, like I needed to go back to Oklahoma City and huh. really start working on like my life and purpose and plan. And so I didn't go to work that day. And that day was the day that three people were killed on a ship that I was supposed to work. Wow. So that was kind of like, it was so Ooh. devastating because it was people I cared about. My friends, Michael, Santana, and Kara. And I um, mm. found out about it actually that night when I had gone home. Ooh. And it was one of those moments where it's just a crossroads in my life. I had raised with so much purpose. Yeah. And then I kind of had walked away. I kind of got disillusioned that anything could change. And I kind of fell into this purposeless, purposeless life. And it was really in that moment. And I had friends who had been praying for me. And we ended up praying together. And I really just prayed that Jesus... Um, that he would just come in and, and like just be in my life. And I just, I remember feeling like the weight of the world falling off my shoulders. I remember mm. sensing kind of this spiritual immersion and, and I just knew it, nothing would ever be the same. So what was the, what was the draw towards Jesus? Like what, what do you think, 
what was the exposure, the content that would make you even think to pray to Jesus, talk to Jesus? It's really interesting because when I was living, right before I went to New Orleans, um, my friends and I, they were all Christians. Mm. And so we would um, argue, I'd love to debate with them. Like I would give them scientific mm. facts and, you know, and we would talk about things. But in the end, no matter what, they would always be like, you know, Jesus is real and he loves you. And so mm. I would be like, uh, stop telling me this. <laughs> and so mm. there, there was a pushback, but they loved me and they insisted there was a God who loved me. Mm. And I really think, and that was for several years. So I had been surrounded yeah. by the people who were closest to my life were people who were believers. And they weren't religious Christians. They were not hypocritical. Um, they were very flawed and perfect, but they loved well. And mm. so I believe it was that love that really introduced me to this is what I want. And I knew wow. there was an emptiness and I knew there was a purposelessness. I knew that I was supposed to take that mantle again for wow. justice and so i i kind of had that sense like i'm not doing what i'm supposed to be doing and in in re, like and just having this relationship with jesus i felt peace and i felt all of a sudden like there is purpose so that even though your experience of christianity had largely been negative and you saw the church as kind of being a negative force you talk about the homophobia misogyny racism or whatever intuitively Somehow, even then, you connected coming to Jesus with this sense of calling on your life towards justice is somehow moving in the same direction. I believe so. And I believe it was kind of, it was, I will say, it was the love of my friends mm. um, and the sense that I knew I was here for something mm. and that they were not anything like the religious kind of um Christian, but I would say now evangelical yeah. kind of um, facades. They were true people, fallen. I mean, in the sense that they were just imperfect, like we all can be mm -hmm. imperfect. Um, but people who loved me, and I, I couldn't, mm -hmm. I couldn't separate that to who they were talking about, and yeah. the fact that they truly believed that Jesus loved me, and mm -hmm. so it really, I had to get past that kind of, um, you know, uh, that kind of witness that I had really always mm. seen and just be like, okay, these people are real. Yeah. This love is real. Yeah. And I know I'm here for something and it's not for the life I've been living. Mm. So there was a wow. strong conversion that mm. happened. Mm. Um, and, and eventually I found a community of faith and I really, in a few years, I was living a life that was very different. Mm. I was um, going back to school. I was studying. I was in ministry. I was serving people. I started doing a lot of missions work. I um, was involved in um, a lot of uh, helping at-risk women, which mm. I felt like was really a passion of mine. So, I mean, it was not much time before my life was very radically different. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. And uh, how would you describe that? change fundamentally. I mean, obviously the activities in terms of like what shifted in you. Um, I do think it was finding a faith community and mm. I think it was, um, just really, um, you know, the faith community was a spirit filled community. And okay. I felt like, you know, I really, uh, spent time, uh, being in the spirit and reading the mm. Bible and being, um, 
kind of just in communion and union with God. And mm. even though I will look back and say there's a lot of things there that um, probably weren't healthy structurally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I was very much involved in that because I was spending so much time in prayer and just meditation on the word. And um, and things were just changing and happening in my life. Left yeah. Right. So. Now this, this brings me to a question that's really, well, a whole dimension of your story that's interesting to me because you talk about kind of having this sort of mystical awakening. There's a lot of prayer. And I do see you as a person who just, you know, has that kind of deep, very intuitive connection with God. Um, and I, I mean, you don't flaunt that, but but clearly a, a prayerful person, person who does walk in the spirit. So, but I find this part so interesting. And I think this is something that a lot of people will resonate with. So you go so much of your life without any form of Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Um you have this encounter with Jesus kind of through a cataclysmic experience. You lose your friends and then you meet God. Everything changes. You've got this sense of kind of purpose, destiny. You're going to school. You're doing all this justice work. Like all these things are clicking. And yet on the other side of this powerful conversion, coming into Christian community and identifying a lot of things about that that were great, then you also kind of hit a wall in terms of that community and I just, think, I just think it's especially interesting when people have that kind of like real, intense, robust connection with God. But then you come to that point in your journey to where like your connection with your own faith community and your sense of where you connect to that story or if you connect to that story to where that doesn't necessarily make sense anymore. So so what did that look like? What And what what was it that started to unravel in terms of your experience of Christian community? I think it's really interesting because I think it started to unravel probably around 2006, which is, and I don't think I actually, I'm sorry, it's okay, exited kind of um, certain types of communities till closer to like 2016. Okay. But I do find that like when I first came in um, to the faith, I knew nothing about the Bible. I knew nothing mm-hmm. about Christianity. So I kind of was like willing to go along with I would say believing or buying into kind of the general um, tenets of the the American Christian faith, yeah. which I think is very different. Because I will say, and since then, when I've been going to school, I traveled to uh, Africa and Cambodia. I spent time in Jerusalem for five mm. weeks doing research. And, you know, once you get out of the Western American church, you start mm-hmm. to see like an Eastern Christianity that's very different. Mm. And so yeah. in the beginning, it was like, okay, I maybe I kind of ate up the construction mm. um, and it was nice because there was a lot of rules and really I I mean as much as um, when you live life kind of more on your own terms rules are great You're like, sure, I loved sure. it I was like oh you do this and you get that you do yeah. this and you get that and that's very Proverbs and I was like this is just great you know I had had this traumatic situation mm. my friends had died and I didn't want to ever have any more trauma again mm-hmm. um, which is completely unrealistic but <laughs> I thought okay I will sure. buy into all of these rules and kind of this Christian American culture which is yeah. very western and a thing um, that isn't a, if you go to the church around the globe you don't see and it just unraveled because it's not truth. It's mm. not truth. Mm. Um, you can have, uh, you know, you can have, you can live. I think the best way I've heard it put is you can either break yourself against kind of 
the laws in the universe, or you can be crushed under them trying yeah. to carry them. Yeah. Either way, they crush you. So I kind of lived a life that um, was on my own terms, and I found it very mm. empty and purposeless. And then I came into this rule-based Christianity, and I was mm. loving it until you start to notice that, you know, do good, get good doesn't work anymore. Well, yeah. Do good and get bad or do bad and get good. And that's mm. really where you see Ecclesiastes and you start to see these wisdom things, the third way where it's like, um, the rules don't produce life. Yeah. And so I would say about 2006, I had kind of lived this up and down Christianity, which is like, if you keep serving and giving and doing these things for God, you're blessed. God loves you. But you know, what if that lot, you didn't go 10 more minutes in prayer? What if you didn't give a hundred more dollars? What if you didn't serve just a little more of the church? And then I would find this kind of up and down manic depressive Christianity where I'm unworthy and I didn't do enough. I didn't please God until the point where it was burnout. And I really do think that is um, the result of rules-based religion is wow. burnout. Yeah. And that's where I found myself. And so then I remember around 2006, I started to really step away from serving the church and mm. not completely step away from my faith community, but I really started to dig into the gospels. Mm. And I was like, I just want to hang out with Jesus. I want to hang out with Jesus yeah. in the gospels. I did that for a while. And I would say that I came out going, ugh, how can the that community of believers have any type of um, political ideology which isn't compassionate and justice yeah. minded towards the marginalized people? Yeah. And how and there was this all sorts of I just think hypocrisy is not spending out of time with Jesus in the gospels. Like I don't see him fighting for gun rights. I don't mm-hmm. see him condemning marginalized people groups. I don't see him um, treating women anything any bit less than equal. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I came away from that and that really began to unravel. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, I know I, I knew always that I never had anything politically or really justice in mind, but I did feel like I had community and tenets of the faith. But even then I ended up going back and getting my um, master's. And I, it's so funny because I, I went to get a practical theology degree, but I, the first year I did mostly mm-hmm. Hebrew Bible. So then I started studying mm-hmm. um, Hebrew. And then I, I went to Israel for the second time and I did a class there and I studied the culture and I started studying the early church and the early church father's letters. And then I started Mm -hmm. to study these things and all of my Western American Christianity started to just, it just started to wither. I mean, Mm -hmm. my views on eternal torment, my views on women in the church, my views on um, marginalized people's sexuality, all of these things became radically different. And so, I had these kind of um, amazing bonds with people who helped me through traumatic situation and mm. were loving and gracious to me. But everything that we believed were it was not conducive. It was not um, cohesive. Yeah, yeah. And so I really started. And then, of course, I think this is a lot of people's stories when um, the young men who were um, killed by police, whether it be Trayvon Martin mm. or Eric Garner or Michael Brown, you know, these things were really just um gut-wrenching to me yeah yeah and then i would see people i knew in my church um flippant or um Mm. now just racist and Mm. i realized oh my gosh we don't i don't think we have the same jesus i'm not sure we share the brown-skinned palestinian rabbi who lived under white roman occupation who showed the way of the cross which was anti-empire yes and then i just realized and i had a friend tell me and she um 
I will say she was instrumental to me really going deeper to justice. She's like, you need to decolonize your faith. Wow. And when I heard those words, it was like something went off on me. Mm. And I realized I had to get away from American evangelicalism. Mm. I needed to take some time and I needed to figure out how to decolonize my faith. And that, and I, that's, I think, that's a lifelong process of your living yeah, yeah. Um, in you know, any kind of country that's been colonized. And so oh. that's kind of been my journey. But the beautiful thing was that the, the more I kind of stopped with American evangelical Christianity, yeah. um, the more I felt like the presence of the Holy Spirit. Mm. I found clarity on things that just never made any sense to me. Mm. Um, and then just the whole election and everything that happened, it was like, oh, like to take a mm. upside down gospel message and, you know, put it towards a top down, right side up, yeah, like um, worldly empire mm. does not mesh, will never mesh. Right. And it becomes so clear once you leave that. And it's yeah. really almost like a blindness until you do. Yes, yes. But I felt such a pull of the Holy Spirit to get out and get alone, go to the desert. And that's mm. when I began to hear voices like you. Um, mm. I have been reading Richard Rohr, which of course, yeah, sure. um, there's other voices that were out there, yeah. Sarah Bessie and Rachel Holt Evans and people yeah. where I was like, oh, okay, okay. Mm. I, it was like, I'm not alone out here. Because you do have that fear that you're completely alone. Oh, totally. It's, it's, it's so can be so alienating and scary at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, question I want to ask Malik in that. So one, I, I just find it so intriguing that there again, maybe because you had such a more mystical kind of intuitive experiential connection to Jesus, that it seems that your disillusionment and kind of disenchantment was much more with the structure and the system than ever was with Jesus. That was the issue. The more time you're spending the gospels, the more acquainted you become Jesus. Like you're seeing this discrepancy, and yes. which I think is interesting that it's actually Jesus is the one who illumines this mm -hmm. as opposed to, um, so I'm fascinated by that. I'd love for you to say a bit more just for people who may not be on that journey or be familiar with this language as to what it meant for you to decolonize your faith. What, what, even what that word means and what specifically that's looked like for you to decolonize. Absolutely, and I think that, you know, it's very interesting. We live in a country um, that has been colonized by Western Europe and um, Western civilization. And the indigenous people here do not um, obviously prescribe to Western values or religion or um, politics. So this is colonized land and, and it's really stolen land. And, yeah. sometimes, and you know, we yeah. don't really acknowledge that we're living on stolen land, that we're colonized settlers. I mean, that's just um, something that I think we have to grapple with. And that's probably the first step in mm. decolonizing the faith is like, okay, uh, even if 33% I did my DNA, I'm 33% African, 65% European and 2% Asian. Um, even though there's a good chunk of me that is an involuntary mo um, minority, you yeah. know, I still live on solo land. Yeah. And so I have, I think that's the big thing you start to, you have to understand is like that, that is mm -hmm. not, um, that is not good. So once you mm -hmm. start to do that, and then the second thing you ha really have to know is I studied a lot of the Eastern church. So this was actually very mm -hmm. helpful. Like for me, the, like just studying the East when it comes to Christianity is that the Westerners were just doers mm -hmm. and American Christianity is so about doing. It's yeah. not about being or becoming or transforming. It's about doing a behavior modification, obeying mm -hmm. the rules, mm -hmm. getting power. And um, so the first thing in decolonizing is that you have to stop doing mm -hmm. 
And that's the hardest thing because the first instinct is how do I do? How do I fix this? How do I help? The poor, because you want to be somebody who is aligned with the marginalized. But one of the worst things, and I will say that um, I was a part of, and I was a part of kind of this American evangelical Christianity, is you can really be involved with toxic charity. Mm, And um, so what I really learned that I had to get to was in doing good works, what you do is you recognize the asymmetrical power dynamics. Mm. So if you have a group here and a group here and you're trying to give asymmetrically, you're going to feel really good about yourself and Mm. you're probably going to have a photo op and there's going to be a lot of press. And the person you're receiving is probably going to get something simple, tangible Mm. for a day, be in the same situation the next day. Mm -hmm. There's nothing empowering about that. So for me, it was like, what needs to happen here? Well, I need to first recognize that marginalized people are often in that are often marginalized because of power structures and powers and yes. principalities. So the goal isn't to like fix somebody, it's to come mm-hmm. alongside and recognize that in even mar- like even if you're marginalized, you probably are thriving mm-hmm. with less. And what does that look like? That that is amazing mm-hmm. gifts and resilience and creativity. Yes. So then it's like coming alongside and then realizing nobody is above or below. We need to come together to deal with the systems. And that was the second thing with decolonizing is that you've got to be able to understand systems. So systems, which I had a friend say recently, is um, policies and laws, institutions, Mm. structural things that have been put Mm. aside. And I think that's what every prophet, I loved what you talked about on Sunday because Jeremiah and Isaiah and these guys came along and they're like, they're talking to, at that point, government and religion married, which yes. I think we have in uh, America as well. And it is like we're dealing with these powers and these principalities, these structures like white supremacy, yeah. like um, patriarchy. Um, all of these things are coming along. And until you recognize that, you're not decolonizing yeah. your faith. Once yeah. you realize that, mm. so then you really have to just start to renew your mind. And that's mm. what Paul, I think it was Paul who talked about don't be a conformist world, be transformed yes. by renewing your mind. The transformation process is coming to a place where I believe justice is what God mm. wants. And Amos 5.20 says, mm. justice, that's what I want. That's yeah. all I want. Yeah. And it's like, we get to this point where, and that's what I felt like I was called way before I became a Christian. I put, mm. God put me on this planet to stand against injustice. Wow. That has always been my call. That will yeah. always be my call. That will always be, I believe, the church's call. Yes, yes. By the way, if y'all want to book Malika in to preach a revival at your church, I would highly recommend it. Like, this is so good. Like, there is. There's such a fire in your bones in that way. It's good. It was interesting, too, because I was thinking about how, even when we talked about this conversation today, I was we were talking about, like, hey, because I, I, I want to have Malika on as a regular guest. Like, you know, I want her and Cece both in the mix, several folks in our table community. But it's interesting to remember think, talking about like, hey, well, maybe maybe we'll talk about your story today or we could talk about justice and peacemaking or maybe those would be two different episodes just realizing how like, for you, it's always been one story. It's always been one story. Jesus, justice, the call in your life, even before you recognize it as Jesus. It was Absolutely. always kind of the same thing. Um, I'm There's so many th- threads here I love to follow. I mean, the... The decolonizing stuff, I, if I could just add a footnote here, again, for people who may not be on this journey, but I feel like, because I'm so aware right now of the amount of resistance there are to any of these words that sometimes are unfamiliar for people, and I feel like what often happens is that, and it's so interesting how this 
this narrative is so it's subtle. It's not always explicitly stated, but it's so real. I just like, especially if you're white, if you grew up in a more white evangelical context, the messaging that you always that you're always getting, even if you're doing good work, if you're doing charitable work, maybe it's toxic charity, but some form of charity in the world, everybody else out there has a culture. Mm-hmm. But there's this idea that whiteness yeah. <laughs> is bland, vanilla, culture-free. We have no culture. We don't come from anywhere or anybody. We have no history. We have no story. We're an ahistorical people. Um, like, there's no sense of, of of how we got here. There is no... There's no reflection on the land at all, where it came from. Oftentimes, there's really no sense of even history of the church either. Like it, right. ahistorical people all the way around following an ahistorical Jesus. We're the only ones who've ever been here and we're making the story as we go. So then you start hearing language like decolonize. Like, all oh, these things sound very radical and scary because we don't have a culture. Right. I mean, we just, we're just objective. Everybody else has a culture and where they live and where they come from right. and their story and heritage. Well, that informs how they, how I know, of course, often said with a bit of condescension, well, of course that's going to shape how they feel and think, but we, we don't have a particular story. We don't come from anybody or anywhere. And I think that, you know, that whole call to decolonize, you have to start you have to reflect on, okay, I come from somewhere. Yes. I'm part of a larger story. My faith community is part of a larger story. My country's part of a larger story. And finding like where you fit in. I, I don't mean to get preachy about that. I, to, <laughs> that to, to, your, to your story though, Malika, because mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like this is so interesting, especially given what we're doing now. Mm-hmm. So like when you hit this wall and you're decolonizing your own faith and you're going through this journey, you're learning theologically and you're growing and expanding, so am I correct in assuming here, like for a while, like, did, did, did faith community have a role? Like, cause obviously the communities you come from, and I feel like you try to speak honorably about that, but you know, that wasn't working the same way anymore. Right. I mean, like, uh, did you come to a place where you weren't sure whether or not church fit into your own story? Like at least in kind of a local expression? Well, you know, I went to Ireland for a year and I did my I did my master's in conflict resolution reconciliation and it was a lot of actually studying like war, conflict and atrocity. Mm. And so I, you know, having studied that, I came back very um it was just like very awakened to what the world can be and what the world can do and what religion and politics can do. And so when I came back, I couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't go back into any kind of anything that looked like religion married to politics. Yeah. Yeah. And so I actually will say that I, I felt this real pull to go to this sweet little Episcopal church in my neighborhood. Hmm. And, um, thought that was strange because I mean the Episcopalians are very different than kind of evangelicals sure and then I found out I had read how to survive a shipwreck and you had started going there and that gave mm. me kind of like a confidence it's like okay that this is really maybe the the spirit and then I read you know Rachel and other people were saying you know they kind of found themselves at, a, yeah. at like Episcopal churches and I started going and I would sit in the pew and it was so funny because it's so radically different from the charismatic sure. kind of sure. um, youth culture type church I mean there were so many people there with gray hair and um and there was ritual and there was the sacraments and Mm. i remember just weeping and weeping every time and they were just the nicest people Mm. like actually if you were to go to a group of people who never heard of christians Uh you know it would be like 
you would talk about Jesus and you'd expect, and then you would meet the Episcopalians and you're like, yeah, yeah. that's what Christians would be like. So mm. it was so amazing to see mm. like these sweet, nice, mostly older, mm-hmm. um, just lovely people who love Jesus and were about social justice. And, mm. and I kind of understood where they were at politically. And I'm not saying everybody was monolithic, but sure. it was such refreshingness. Mm. Um, and so I found kind of a little home and, and healing mm. that community. Um, now it didn't find a lot of diversity. And for yeah. me, that's yeah. important. So I, um, yeah. And so I, I, I would say that that kind of journeyed me. And, and then it was just like, I was like, you know what? And I felt like even, I just felt the spirit being like, just relax, like mm. just rest rest Mm. and that had been always such a thing for me like rest and supernatural rest and i think that's so important in our faith and even in hebrews 4 11 it talks about the word of god is alive and active sharper than any two-edged sword but you got to go back to 4 9 and 4 10 which talks Mm. about um the only work is to enter the rest so i really believe once i rested i took this break Mm. which people don't even i mean it's crazy thing i took a break from church i took a break i took a break from praying i took a break from community Mm. and it was almost in that rest Hmm. That the word of God became alive and active. That's interesting. And it was like, then I was able to kind of allow the Holy Spirit, that whole river, eternal current, like things just started Hmm. to happen. Like I ran into um, Nicole. I hadn't seen Nicole in a while. Hmm. Well, I met Cece. And then I hadn't seen Nicole in a while. I met Nicole and I introduced Nicole to Cece. And then Hmm. it was like just these little things. And I met Reese. And it was like all of these people that started coming in my life. It was so much more effortless. Mm. There was so much more a flow. And I really had decided, and we can talk two trees sometime, but I really started to kind of meditate on these two differences between the tree of life Mm. and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it was like I felt all of a sudden like I was living from the tree of life. And then, you know, I had found how to survive a shipwreck, which literally midwife. And I had known Mm. about you and followed you for a while, but that book midwife me out of kind of the exodus of what was no longer healthy for me. Mm. And so then when and Nicole and I had met up, we like, we're like, do you want to do something? And the first time I was like, Oh, heavens no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I don't want community. And then I had, uh, something happened and it was like, I had gone to a church service and I was like this, I need, I need something with more diversity. I need mm. something. And so uh, Nicole and I got back together again. And she's like, you know, I was like, well, I've been reading this book. And she's like, I'm reading that book. And then we like both mm. had said, I said, well, I wanted to go see something in Tulsa um, uh. called The Table, Jonathan Martin. She's like, oh my God, I was checking that out. And then we're like, well, let's do that. Let's just do The Table. Uh. <laughs> and, wow. then, and then we were like, well, let's just get Jonathan here. <laughs> and it's funny because like, you're saying that fast, but this happened over time. Yeah, it Because I remember when I met you at The Table in Tulsa. It was like February 2017, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Because yeah. I, I remember you came. And, and Nicole never came, did she? Mm-mm. I didn't think so. But you visited. You offered yeah. the whole drive, an hour and a half. And, come, and so like, but I love to tell people that, you know, because, you know, the table truly did exist before I got here. I mean, y'all, if I mean, it's still a labor of love, so nobody's exactly hired, but y'all hired me, not the other way around to come be part of your thing. We're kidnapping. You're coming here. <laughs> but it was so, that was so fun when I first found out when I first connected to calls like, oh, so there's a table in Oklahoma city. There's this thing that's happening and it's just. So interesting that something kind of felt like my DNA was kind of already in it before mm-hmm. I got here, but that y'all were already connecting around these ideas. I just think, you know, it's so interesting to me that after having this disillusionment mm-hmm. with 
Christian community here that often felt nationalistic and felt like it was marrying religion and politics in an unhealthy way. No, but the fact that you had been disillusioned with mm-hmm. the expression of Christian community you had found here in terms of its this unhealthy marriage of religion and politics, and which another story for another time. Part of what I think is most frustrating about that is those same church expressions I know, they're always going to say they're not political. And that's what's frustrating because they're, they're the most political overtly. <laughs> and yet they pretend they don't have politics. Just like whiteness is this involves this assumption right. that you have no culture. These churches are very political, but claim they have no politics. But no, <laughs> and I will say for me, like coming to that decolonization point was the fact that I realized we're all political. Yes. You know, there is no yes. not political. Right. And, right. and if you pretend to not be, that's because you're privileged. Yes. And that was the problem with a lot of these spaces where they were so privileged so they could pretend to not be involved. And yet yes. personally, everybody was very involved. Very involved. And it was such an eye. It was gut-wrenching for me. Um, this is the thing that's most got me beating my head against the wall right now is how many people I feel like I'll talk to who claim that they're not political mm-hmm. or that what we're doing in terms of justice is political. It's like... You guys, like every every sermon, every talk, everything, like it's it's there's there's a worldview that's so explicit, not only political, but is expressly political in a partisan way. Because right. I don't think that's what we're doing. No, we're like, I don't think we're doing let's that at come all. be political in a Jesus way in terms of we believe that what we what we believe about Jesus and our faith should inform what we do in the world. So right. in that regard, it's political. But it has nothing to do with partisan politics. No, this is about moving from right to left or whatever else. But this is about working out our faith in real life. Right. Um, but I just think like, it's just, it's so interesting to me that you come from a place where you have that kind of disillusionment to then find the courage to carve out a new space mm-hmm. When you don't even know what that space would look like. And I love that you, you know, you drove by this, but I think this is interesting. And I'm, and I say it in a way not to be, um, to, to speak, uh, with any negativity towards anybody else, because actually I feel like, but I feel like this is a common important part of the story that I love the safer kind of mainline spaces where there's a kind of sense of sanctuary. I think that's beautiful. And I found that too. I did write about it in Shipwreck and I love that, but I do find not always, but I do think a lot of times people will come into those kind of spaces and they'll find a sense of sanctuary that's good mm-hmm. and they'll find something that's tender and that's healing and nurturing for the soul, but that lacks the kind of diversity mm-hmm. that we need. And the, and if you don't have diversity, then no matter what you say about justice, no matter how much you might claim to value mm-hmm. different expressions, what does that really mean when if if the form is never going to be such right. to where anybody who's not white or in some of those cases kind of a older wealthy white are mm-hmm. ever going to find their way into the church so i just think, so it's just so interesting then that you find yourself in a place where then you're now carving out a kind of faith space that you'd never really experienced because because and I, that and a part of that resonates that's been so much my journey it's like it's so it's so strange when you're trying to create something, start something that you've never really been on the receiving end of. Right, right. Like, I'm not, like, I've not been in something like this before, so how do you know how to lead something when you've not been in it before? And I think that's what we're doing because we're literally kind of, I think we're flowing in that river because, I mean, so much of this has been organic. Yes. Just the fact that, yes. like, the, when you came, everything was, it was like such... 
I mean, right. We didn't offer you a big title and um, a huge salary. We offered you zero salary. Well, you did offer me a title in fairness. <laughs> no salary, but I mean, we, we've got titles. We'll give anybody a title. <laughs> we got t- titles. Like, we'll just, Super you know. <laughs> but, uh, but everything's come together. And the people, it's like there's this authenticity. There's this hunger to be together. I mean, yes. They're like, we spent, like, I remember one service we started, showed up at four and we went to like, it was a house service, mm. but it went to like people were leaving at 10 or 11. Like people yeah. are so hungry to be together. Yes. And it is because I think there's this flow and there's this lack of rules. Mm. It's relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, you're right. Like we don't really know what we're doing, Yeah. but it's producing life. And yeah, that's, that's the right. thing. That's and right. I feel like um, as long as we're, we see life and we see this beauty, authenticity and love. Yes. And, it, and, and these other mainline situations, you're right. I mean, there is the sanctuary and there's rest and there's mm-hmm. care. But um, I liked what you said about the other day when we were um, filming that, you know, you you have to have people who don't necessarily agree with you. Yeah. People yeah. who are different. People mm-hmm. you have to work to kind of overcome. And so mm-hmm. I feel like we've kind of carved out a space where we do see different people coming in, yeah. different people of races and faiths. And we have uh, people with different sexuality orientations and people who are um I mean, we have friends with people who are won't well, don't consider themselves Christians. Sure. I mean, people are coming and they're like, eh, I'm kind of an existential phase right now, yes. or maybe a Unitarian. I don't really yes. know. And it's like, okay, so we see kind of these different people coming in, and there's a space for mm-hmm. that. And I really do think, with all my heart, mm-hmm. as much as we're hurt in community, yeah, we heal Ooh. in community. That's so important. That's so important. So important. But people are scared to death. And I get it, you right, know, and right, I don't want to right. impose something before people are ready. But I feel like especially people who have been hurt in community, like understandably, mm-hmm. the tendency is what you kind of want to isolate and insulate yourself because you're afraid if you put yourself back out there, then your heart's going to be broken. Well, there's mm-hmm. always that that real risk involved. Right. But that's the thing. It's like, it's not for me, It's it's not legalism. It's not shame. It's not like, you know... I, I mean, that's a wonderful verse and all, but I, it, I'm not coming from like the old Hebrews, like forsake not the assembling <laughs> right, of right, yourselves right, together. Right. Like there's no tis, tis, tis. It's no, it's that principle. Mm-hmm. It's that if, if you've experienced a certain kind of brokenness in context of a community, how will healing come any other way except through within a community? A community. But through an, a community that has devoted itself to authenticity, love, yes. and inclusion. I really believe that's for me, I will say this. I have healed in our community. Yeah. I am not bitter. Mm. I'm not looking backwards. Mm. I am healed and I am moving forwards. Mm. And I do not believe that could have come without our community. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be our community, but I do think it has to be a community. And you and and you want to be sure yes. that it, there's no hypocrisy and mm. kind of things going on but I do think that that's the journey and that's the journey as a human being let's face reality if we shut ourselves down to all harm and hurt we shut ourselves down to all love and absolutely so I mean it's always going to come down to sure there's seasons of rest and retreat and there's seasons of um, Mm -hmm. drawing in but just like water it's going to be stagnant unless it flows back out yes so I'm just thinking about how you know, because I know we need to wrap up, wrap up, and for sure we're going to do more of this yes. together. I, will, I know everybody's going to be requesting more Malika after today. Um, but I'm just thinking about how, and again, there's no judgment in this whatsoever. But how, especially, well, 
there's that wonderful story in the Gospels of Jesus and the man who's waiting to be made well by the pool of Bethesda. And there's the myth that if you're thrown in the water, but the question Jesus, he's He's been in this paralyzed condition for 38 years, and yet Jesus asked him, do you wish to be made well? And I do think in a very gentle, tender way, that's not, it's, I don't think there's any ugliness there. There's no nasty, like, well, do you want to get better or not? That's not the spirit of it. It's not, Jesus is not Dr. Phil, but I think there's something about that question, like, do you wish to be made well? Are you willing to step towards wholeness? Because I think like, it is an easy decision and an understandable one to stay bitter, to right. stay isolated, to stay alone. I just think that's the invitation of the Spirit for so many people right now is, hey, do you wish to be made well? I know there's risk here, but right. we can come and try that's to mend so with us and yeah. create something new with us. Mm. Um, this has been so special, Malika. Thank you for being here. Yes, thank you so much. We're absolutely going to do this again. So, okay. um, I love that. Thanks for tuning in for the Zeitcast. Uh, so appreciate it. If you like, share, review, get the word out in any form. It's so helpful to us right now. Uh, can support us on Patreon. There's a link via jonathanmartinwords.com. As always, I'm thankful that you guys are with us, and we will see you again tomorrow. Take care, you guys. <laughs>